Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. And over the past couple of months, I've been able to be a part of a few different weddings. And my favorite part of weddings are the vows. And I'm a traditional vow guy. I want better or worse, rich and poor, health and sickness, good times and bad. The reason that I love traditional wedding vows is because it reminds me that, you know what, there are some times that life is lived in this column, worse, poor, sick, and bad, right? That's just part of life. Because if life was always lived in better, rich, health and good times, we wouldn't need vows. Everybody would sign up for that, right? But the reason that we take vows is this idea that this is reality. This is some of life, and I'm going to commit to my marriage. I'm going to commit to a relationship, even when things are worse, poor, sick, and bad. The Bible does something really similar throughout Scripture over and over. We see these these phrases, these statements of God, things like count your, your trials as joy, rejoice always, be strong, set your hope on Christ. These words of encouragement because God knows life is going to be hard. And just like if marriage was always easy, we wouldn't need vows. If life was perfect all the time, God wouldn't need to say these things. Right? The reason that God says rejoice always is because God knows there's going to be days that you don't want to rejoice. The reason he says be strong is because he knows there are days that you and I are going to be scared. By saying count your trials as joy, God is basically telling us you're going to have trials. The Bible is so honest. God just calls it out. Life is hard. It's just universal to all of us. And yet what I'm being reminded of in this series that we're in this summer is that we don't have a harsh father. We don't have a heavenly father who says, get over it, it's not that bad, rub some dirt on it, whatever. Like we have a father who actually wants to give us instruction, who actually wants to give us hope, who says even in the midst of your darkest suffering, there's goodness available and there's instruction and there's a direction forward. So I want to show you some more of that today. So if you've got a Bible with you, we're in Psalm 57. Psalm 57 in the Old Testament. Don't be afraid to use your table of contents. Find Psalm 57. And what I want to talk about for a few minutes is just what does the Bible say about how to suffer? Now you might hear that and go, that's really dumb. We should talk about how not to suffer But that's not really what the Bible teaches. It does, however, speak to how we should suffer. Because again, difficulty and suffering is universal to all of us. And so I want to just jump into this thing and and go through this psalm. I'll give you some notes along the way. But my hope is that if you are someone who's suffering right now, and, and maybe you're not, maybe life is really great right now, I celebrate that with you. My hope is if you're someone who's suffering that today you would let just God's word wash over you and you would experience hope and peace and that you would understand that God has not left you just to figure it out on your own, but he's given instruction. There is direction on how to move forward. And I'll give you some notes along the way. Take some notes in your program or your Bible, whatever. Here we go. Psalm 57, this is what it says. It says, have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. 
I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. This is written by a guy named David, and the disaster that he's experiencing is that the king of Israel, this guy named Saul, who is David's boss, he wants to kill him. He wants to take him out. And so David is on the run. He's hiding from Saul in a cave. And scholars say that the backstory of this is likely 1 Samuel 22. So you can go and read that yourself. But it all starts when Saul becomes really jealous of David. David is chosen as and anointed as the next king of Israel. He's going to take Saul's place, but he's not king yet. David, in fact, actually really wants to serve well under Saul. He's trying to be a faithful leader and this guy who, who makes Saul look really good, but David is successful and people are starting to fall in love with David and Saul is starting to get really jealous of him. In fact, so much so that one night they're at dinner and Saul just decides to chuck a spear at David's head to try and kill him. And so he flees, he runs, and he finds himself hiding in a cave, trying to, he's really fighting for his life. And it's in the midst of this moment, in this suffering, that David says, in my suffering, I find refuge in God. The word refuge just means protection or hope. He's talking about, I find safety, I find hope when I go to God. Now stop for a minute, because we hear the word suffering, and you go, what, is, what does that mean? I mean, I think there's lots of different kinds of suffering. I think there's layers to the seriousness of suffering, but lots of pains and frustrations, and disappointments and difficulties. You could have suffering that is based on an event, right? It could be a, a loss of a loved one, a broken relationship, some grief. You can also have suffering that's more long lasting, stuff that goes through your whole life that you have to deal with, maybe a physical ailment or, or something in a career, or just your family and, and, and you're, you're, you're frustrated or you're disappointed by the decisions that your family is making. Lots of types of suffering. I think in some ways we don't have to define the word suffering because you know what it means. You've felt it, you've experienced it yourself. There's lots of different kinds. David is experiencing physical and emotional suffering, but I think what he's about to say is generic to all of our suffering. And I think we can learn from him. Listen, listen to what he says, verse, uh, verse two. He says, I cry out to God most high. And there's something significant that happens here. The name that he uses for God in Hebrew is Elion. And we've talked about this before. In the Hebrew Bible, there are five names for God. And they all describe a little bit different, some attribute of God. This particular name is about God as most high. What David is doing is he's saying, God, I'm calling out to you and I'm acknowledging that you are high above everything. God, I am suffering. I'm scared. These are my circumstances, but I am calling on you who I know, who I believe is above everything. He's calling on the majestic high name of God. I cry out to you, he says, most high to God who vindicates me, to God who sends from heaven and saves me, God who rebukes those who hotly pursue me. And God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. Again, remember the scene, remember the situation. He's in a cave. He's fighting for his life. What I want to show you, I want you to see these next couple of verses because something really cool happens. I want you to see how you hear David and he's, he's crying out to God. And these are, these are cries of distress. He's issuing sort of the mayday signal, like I need help, right? But I want you to watch 
how his cries of distress start to change. And in the midst of this incredible suffering, they actually turn into shouts of praise. Listen to the rest of it. Verse 4. He says, I'm in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. So he's not denying his suffering. It's real. He's not trying to pretend like everything's fine. He's really suffering. Watch verse 5. He says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. I'm facing lions. I'm facing enemies on every side. People are coming after me. And then he changes. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. In the midst of suffering, you start to hear a little hint of praise coming through. Keep going. Verse 6. He says, they spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. This wiped me out. This put me on my face in suffering. They dug a pit in my path. They made a hole they wanted me to fall into. They were trying to trip me up, he says. But now they've fallen into it themselves. The scene that he's describing, this this sort of mixture of suffering and praise, you, you, you get the sense that everyone and everything is against him. Right? He's been run off from his home. Now he's facing lions. He's hiding out in a cave. Now there's bears. There's enemies on every side. If he walks out of this cave, he's a dead man. He's, he's alone. He's really suffering. He's describing this, this situation where the suffering just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And it's one thing after another after another. Have you experienced that before? Of course you have. That season of life where just one thing happens and you go, okay. That was pretty rough. And then it doubles down on another thing and and another thing and another thing. That's kind of what he's describing where you're just going, man, I don't know how much more I can handle. It's sort of that adage of when it rains, it pours, right? Have you felt that? I'll tell you a quick story because I think it'll resonate with you. We we had a period uh, like this in, in our lives, about six months It was back in 2016, and uh, life was pretty good. Actually, in April of 2016, our two youngest kids came to live with us. We were going to be adopting them, and so they moved in with us. It was really cool. It was a a shift. We went from, in one afternoon, we went from having one kid to three kids. That was a little bit unique. That was a little bit of a challenge, but it was good, just an adjustment. Um, But of course, grandparents were really excited, and so they wanted to come and meet their new grandkids. And so my folks came to town and had this visit, met the kid. We had this really good time together. They stayed for, I don't know, 10 days, a couple weeks, whatever. And, uh, and after a great visit, they headed home. About the time that they left, my dad, for some reason, he started getting sick, which was kind of weird. My dad doesn't usually get sick, and so it's kind of out of character, but he was, wasn't feeling really good. They headed home. We lived in Arizona. They lived in Oregon. They headed home, and uh, he, he went home, and he saw a doctor. They couldn't really figure out what was going on, and he was just kind of sick for a while. And it was a few weeks after that, I remember one night I was teaching a class at my church and uh, my phone was just going crazy. And I happened to look down at one point and I saw it was my mom and I thought, okay, I'll call her back later when I'm done. Uh, but my wife was in the back of the room and she's kind of waving at me and she's like, you, you need to get on the phone. Okay. So I excuse myself and I step out and I call my mom and she says, hey, you need to know your dad's on the way to the hospital and they're going to be admitting him. He has a collapsed lung and he had had a collapsed lung for like a month and, and they, they couldn't really figure out what was going on. He had been really sick. And so you, you feel all those things in that moment of like, oh my gosh, life is chaotic right now, but is my dad going to be okay? And I, I, I want to get home and see him, right? I got to get to Oregon and see him and, and make sure he's okay. But we got 
the new kids, and, and, and they're, they're in our family now, and so it's like this period of adjustment. And at the same time, our oldest was also getting sick. She had been sick for a couple months, just weird stuff. She had a fever like all day long, every day. Really strange stuff, going to a bunch of different doctors. They couldn't figure out what was going on, and so it was just like, man, it is stressful right now. We cannot catch a break. But I decided I wanted to see my dad. And so I remember sitting in front of the computer one day and I was like on Expedia or something. I'm looking, I'm going to book a flight and my phone rings and it's Nicole and I answer it and I can immediately, I can just show you sense something's wrong. And she's like, man, um, my car is broken down and I'm like on the side of the road. And it was like, oh my gosh, how much more can we handle? And it was strange. It wasn't an old car. It really, like, this shouldn't have happened. But okay, I found out that day that I really wanted a new radiator, so I bought a new radiator. And I, I don't even know what a radiator does, by the way, but I wanted one, so I paid the mechanic for one. So we get the car fixed and, and all that. But it was just like, you know, you get the bill for that, and it's another stress. And I think I forgot to tell you, but in the midst of all this, we moved. And that's always stress-free, of course, moving. And so we needed a bigger house, right? Because we want more kids. And so we needed some more bedrooms. And so we moved. Um, man, it was just like a super stressful time. But a couple months went by, and we started to go, okay, maybe like We've kind of paced ourselves now. We've adjusted to the new normal. Like maybe everything is kind of settling down. My dad was doing better. He was out of the hospital. The move was done. We were getting used to, you know, being a bigger family and getting adjusted to that. And we were moving towards adoption. It was really exciting. My, our oldest was still sick, but it seemed like things were leveling off. And, and, and we were just kind of going, okay, maybe we can catch our breath now. And then one morning I woke up and my back hurt really bad. And I thought, ah, you know, maybe I slept funny or whatever. So I'm just going to kind of stretch and go about my day. I'll get ready for work or whatever. And the morning went on and it was like, it's getting worse. And eventually I, I, I said something to Nicole, like, it's, it's pretty bad. And she uh, ended up taking me to the hospital. And what I found out is what I really needed in my life at that point was kidney stones. And so I got those. <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, that's a different story for a different day. I'll tell you sometime. That's great. Uh, kidney stones. Woo. And uh, man, life was just, it was hard. Three weeks later, our oldest was admitted into a children's hospital where she stayed for a month. It was just one thing after another, after another, after another. Have you felt that way? Of course you have. We could go around and tell stories of suffering and just when you think it's getting better, you get hit by something else. That's the scene that, that David is describing. It's one thing after another, after another. It's enemies, it's lions, it's beasts. And it's like in this moment, David has every reason, just from a common sense standpoint, just from a human being standpoint, he has every reason to curse God. To believe that God has turned his back on him. I don't, I don't trust you anymore, God. You're mean. How could you let this happen? How could you let this suffering exist? You've forgotten about me. And yet, listen to what, what starts to emerge. You heard it. You heard a little rumbling of it. You heard whispers of it, of praise in the background. Watch as it moves forward. It starts to emerge in the foreground where David is, is, is shouting with joy and with praise. Listen, I think we can learn something from him. Verse seven, he says, my heart, oh God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. The word steadfast means fixed. He's going, God, I have all these problems in front of me, but my eyes are fixed on you. 
I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul, he says. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. His suffering turns to praise. And it's not easy. This isn't like fantasy land. This isn't easy. In fact, you watch. He has to, with God's help, he has to make the choice in the middle of suffering to praise God. Look how many times he says, I will. He's making a choice. I will, I will, I will, I will. He's continually telling himself, I'm, I'm going to choose to praise God in the middle of my suffering. He's wrestling it out right here in this psalm. And it's almost like he's, it's almost like he's trying to convince himself, right? Look at what he says. Awake, my soul. He's saying, David, wake up. Wake up to the things around you. Wake up to the goodness of God. Wake up to the majesty of God. When everything inside him is screaming, you can't trust this God. Everything is telling him, look what you're going through. Where's God now? How can you believe in him? How could he allow this kind of suffering? But there's something in David. There's he hears this soft voice that is the Spirit of God that says, wake up, David. Wake up. There's blessing. There's goodness. There's comfort. There's peace. And you, you watch his fear and his suffering actually turn and, and point to praise. I want to show you a video. It's of my friend Dar, and you're going to hear some things in Dar's story that kind of seem like David's story. Some ways that in the middle of suffering, she's going to talk about how she could actually praise God. And, and you're going to hear it, and you're going to go, you know, somebody in, in the middle of this kind of suffering, I don't understand how they could lean in to God, but I want you to watch how, as things started to pile up, and she thought, I can't keep going, and one more thing would happen, and one more thing would happen. She actually chooses, with God's help, to lean in harder. And so see her story, and then we'll come back, and we'll talk about how this applies to all of our lives. Check this out. I truly believe God places things on your heart. And he had placed on my heart that I would be losing my father, my brother, and my husband all around the same time. And sure enough, that's what happened. My dad died in 2018 in June. Marky, my brother, died in April of 2019. And several months later in October of 2019, Dale passed away. I hardly had time in between to grieve it would have been easy, or some people might think it would be natural to shut God out and say, enough of this, I can't handle this. But, but God, he's there. He showed himself so strongly in my life through devotionals, through friends, through sermons, through especially music especially music, and I know he never left my side and he was in full control and I trusted him completely. At Dale's celebration of life service, I had one prayer and that was that the name of Jesus would be lifted high and that hearts that didn't know Jesus and didn't have the hope of salvation, that they would see this, that they would hear it and that they too would in turn have hope. During the service, Jenny sang 
one of Dale's favorite songs called My Living Hope. Throughout the songs in Dale's service, I couldn't help but stand up and raise my hands to heaven and praise God because I knew where Dale was and I knew I was gonna see him again and I knew that he was whole, I knew he was healthy, I knew he was with Jesus, I knew my dad and my Marky were with Jesus. There was no doubt in my mind. That's my hope, that's my joy. When I would be home alone by myself, I would crank up the praise music and dance around with my arms in the air, praising God, because there's a Bible verse that says, for the spirit of heaviness, put on the garment of praise. And it is so true. When you're praising God, you can't feel sorry for yourself. I would be praising God and crying all at the same time, but not because I was sad or lonely, but because of the greatness of God and the joy and the hope that I have. Jesus does change everything. It didn't stop me from feeling lonely sometimes, for missing Dale terribly, for missing my dad, for missing my brother. That stuff didn't stop, the hurt didn't stop, the hurt was still there, but it was overridden by hope. And that's something only Jesus can do. You could, you could, you can clap for that. You could, hear, you could hear a story like that, like Dar's story, or you could hear King David's story, and you could almost scoff at it and go, that's, that's fairy tale stuff. And at the very least, you might go, I don't understand that. How could a person suffering like that, how could they actually lean in to worship and praise when things are really bad? This psalm answers it for us if we keep going in verse 10. It says this, David writes, for great is your love. It reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God. That's the second time he'll say this. He said it back in verse 5, here again in 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. See, what happens with suffering, Satan tries to use your suffering to threaten your faith, to pull apart, to try and tear at what you know to be true about God. But what God does is God actually uses your suffering to strengthen your faith. So God is using this cave moment with King David to show him that he's faithful. He's using this moment to show him that he's a God who comforts. How will David know that God provides comfort unless David is in a situation where he needs to be comforted and he experiences God's comfort? Dar, Dar knew that, that God is a God who's close to the brokenhearted. She has read it in God's word and she knows that God's word is true. But now she has this testimony to say, I've been brokenhearted and God was close. I've experienced it myself. In 2016, the things our family went through, we, we saw the faithfulness of God. We knew before that God was faithful, his word promises it. But now we've experienced it in a way that is our testimony that God is faithful and God will use your suffering 
in the same way to strengthen your faith, to draw you in actually deeper into trusting him. The apostle Paul says it this way. He talks about the suffering that he experienced. He wrote to the church in Corinth, and he says, all this happened, his suffering, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. God actually is using the suffering to pull us in deeper to trust him more, that we might rely on him Not on ourselves, but God, the God who raises the dead. Dar could praise God because she listened to his voice and she let God call her deeper into the safety of Jesus. David, the same way. The Apostle Paul, the same way. They allowed God to use their suffering to strengthen their faith, to increase their trust in God. So for us, how should we suffer? Today, the things that we go through, how should we how should we walk through it? How should we suffer? And, and I just want to say a couple of things really fast, um, just to sort of frame this right. Two things that are kind of true about suffering that aren't exactly great news, but, but they're just true that we all should know. One is just to say that, get this out of the way, it's just like everyone suffers. There's this lie when you're suffering. The enemy will tell you that you're alone. No one else has gone through this. That's a lie. Everyone suffers. And two, there's no promise in the Bible that suffering will end until heaven. Again, not heartwarming, but just this reminder, this idea that that our physical, mental, emotional suffering may not end in this life. That's why we worship a God who says he'll one day wipe away every tear, and he'll he'll take away our our sorrow and our pain. That's why the Apostle Paul talks about how the, the, the suffering that he experiences in the moment, he considers as nothing compared to the glory that's to come in the revealing of Jesus Christ and the hope and presence of Christ. We all suffer. So how should we suffer in, in sort of the here and now? Just a couple things. I hope you'd write down in your notes. Um, just straight from Psalm 57, not out of my mouth, but just God's words. Number one, how do we suffer as we take refuge in God? And I know it seems really simple, but if you just think about the way we try and relieve our suffering, if you're in physical pain, you take a pill. If you're in emotional pain, you often run to a friend, right? And it's like God uses those things as means to walk into your suffering. But what, what David is trying to get us to see, what I want you to know in your, your head and your heart and even in your bones is this idea of God's word that says, if you will take refuge in him, you would find it. That God has this peace that, that if you'll seek him, if you'll come to him with your suffering, he'll give you a peace that doesn't make any sense. I love the way David frames this whole thing. He says, I take refuge in the shadow or the shade of God's wings. And if you just think about when it's really hot, the intensity of the sun. We, we've had a pretty hot last few weeks in the Lehigh Valley, and uh, you, you've experienced the, the heat of the sun. We were at a swim meet for our kids a couple weeks ago, and we were at a pool where there was like no shade. There was no umbrellas anywhere. It was just hot. You're getting sunburned for four hours. There's nothing you can do about it. There's no escape. You look for any piece of shade, and you can't really find it. And, 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 and I'm just reminded about the coolness of shade when he says this, because you've felt under the heat and the intensity just in life, right? And so David says, God shades us under his wings. There's a coolness. There's a settling. There's a peace. There's a hope under the shade of God. Jesus talks about streams of of life, rivers flowing from him that are are life-giving, gives this shade, this comfort. But I go back to Psalm 57, and what David says, that it's a choice 
With God's help, we have to choose to take refuge in him. God's not going to force himself on you. And so you have to make the decision. Will you find relief in him? Will you seek him? Will you hear his gentle, soothing voice? The second thing when we're suffering that we should do is worship. We worship. Anytime, anywhere. Maybe that should say everywhere. Something that we miss in this passage in our sort of modern world and Christianity that the original audience, Jewish audience, wouldn't have missed is that David is in a cave. He's not in a church. He's not in a temple. Those are the places you're supposed to worship God. He's in a cave because you can worship God anywhere. That's, it's significant. It's so easy for us to think, oh, worship, yeah, yeah, yeah. Worship happens in a church on Sunday morning. I need lights. I need a band. I need other people around me singing. It's like, no, that's, that's not what it takes to worship. You heard Dar talking about cranking up the, the tunes in her house and just singing and praising. And, and, and worship doesn't just mean words. It doesn't just mean singing. In fact, sometimes you're suffering so bad you can't even get words out of your mouth. It's surrender. It's giving credit and praise where it's due. If you go back and read the psalm, in the first nine verses, David is so focused on himself. He says, I, me, or my, 21 times. This is my situation. I'm under attack. This is what I'm experiencing. In the last two verses, no, it's all about God. Because there's something about worship. When we worship God, it, it takes the focus off of us and it puts it on God. And, 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 and again, you heard Dar say it. It doesn't mean that suffering is over. But when we worship God in the middle of suffering, we rehearse what Peter says, that the God of all grace who called us through Jesus Christ, while we suffer for a little while, he will himself restore us. He will make us new. The Bible talks about suffering as if it is a reality. It doesn't shy away from this. But God's not a cruel father. He doesn't leave us without instruction, without answers. So maybe today you're suffering. Maybe, again, maybe it's an acute issue. It's a loss. It's grief. Maybe it's a longer-term issue. Maybe it's physical pain or some, a, a family thing, an emotional thing. I hope you don't hear... David or Dar or me, making light of it as if it's like, oh, just, just worship and you'll be fine. No, suffering is real. I'm sorry if you're suffering. But the flip side is that it would be dishonest of me. And, and honestly, it would be evil of me not to tell you that there's a God who, if you're suffering, you can find refuge in him. The Bible says if you seek him, you'll find him. And so my challenge is like, with whatever energy you do have, with whatever breath in your lungs and life that you have in you, seek him, call out to him, take refuge in him, worship him, know him. In the New Testament, Paul is writing to a, a, a group of Christians in Rome who are under incredible suffering. They're under oppression, under this this. Uh, under the Roman government, and it's, it's pretty bad. And he writes to them, and he says, what shall we say in response to these things? In response to your suffering, he says, if God is for us, who could be against us? In the midst of your suffering, it's not to downplay it. It's not to say it's insignificant, but it's, it is a reminder that God is with you, and God is for you, and he loves you. And so we pray like King David, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. 
And in my suffering, God, let your glory fill the earth. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are really thankful for your word. God, I'm really thankful that you don't paint a picture of this sort of fantasy land that we could never live up to, but you show us real lives of real people and you're honest about suffering and you're honest about hardships that we face. And I thank you, God, that you haven't left us without instruction. You haven't left us just to figure it out ourselves. And you don't tell us, just tough it out, get over it, your problems aren't that bad. You say, come and take refuge in me. Come and let me give you peace that you can't even understand. God, you know the ways that there are people in our church family that are suffering greatly today. God, I pray that you would settle over us with your wings that offer shade. There are people that are feeling the intensity of life. The heat has been turned up and they just feel vulnerable and exposed and they're just getting scorched and it's just one thing after another. God, would you draw us Give us coolness. Give us peace. God, help us like you did, David, to make the choice to praise you in the midst of our suffering. It's not easy. But God, you're, you're just good and you're gentle to us. And you welcome us with open arms and you're ready to replace our distress with joy and with praise. God, thanks that you're a God who knows suffering. You don't talk about it from a distance. You walked into it. Your son, Jesus, came and took on all suffering and took on all sin, and you even watched while he did it, and you, your heart broke. You suffered in that. Thanks for being a relatable God. God, thanks for Jesus who walks with us in our suffering, who doesn't leave us alone, who knows the things that we are experiencing and says, come and let me give you peace and rest. God, we pray today for peace and rest in the middle of our suffering. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.